as I said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I think if you are bullish about energy and if you expect oil prices to remain high or elevated, I think Canadian energy is potentially a good place to be. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. With markets pairing back from all-time highs this week, investors may want to take a closer look at their sector allocations, including energy, technology, and U.S. banks. Which areas will thrive amid higher inflation? And what exposures could help investors earn income in spite of the volatility? Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host, Mark Rays, answer these timely questions in today's episode and discuss targeted ETFs that provide investors with unfettered access to sector-specific indices. Our experts also discuss the latest Fed news, interest rates, and bond markets. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Grace, head of product for BMO GAN Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate you listening in. Today, we have Chris McKaney and Alfred Lee, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk here to help us with some of the questions. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Excellent. Well, let's get right into things. Uh, why don't we start this week with a couple of sector trends? Certainly in financials, we are seeing U.S. banks really break out. So using our ZBK ETF, what is causing this popping? As well, can you compare this ETF to ZEB, our equal weight Canadian banks ETF? Thanks. Sure. And certainly, as you say, um, you know, we have seen some strong performance uh, from ZBK over the last couple of months or so. Um, you know, if you take a look at what's been happening, um, you know, particularly on the, the yield side of things, the yield curve side of things, um, you know, yields in the U.S. really, I would say, bottomed out towards the end of July. And so over the last couple of months, we've seen not just rising yields, um, but a, a steepening yield curve. And that's really the the important um, part of this here. So, of course, you know, very short end rates are still anchored to that zero bound. But most other rates over the last couple of months, again, have been rising um, and really, again, steepening right through around that 10-year um, maturity range. And so, you know, that steep yield curve really is positive for that the U.S. banking in terms of their, their business um, and, and how they make money, you know, borrowing in the short term, lending long term. So having a steeper curve um, really allows them to increase those margins. You know, also at the same time, you know, that's telling us about the economy. A, a steep yield curve is actually a positive thing for the economy. It's telling us the bond market is seeing um, potentially strong economic growth well out into the future. And so, of course, a nice um, environment for economic growth um, is beneficial for banks overall as well. The other thing we've seen um, in the U.S. is a loosening of some of those capital return program restrictions. So things like uh, dividend increases and buybacks um, in the U.S., um, banks have been given the go-ahead to resume some of those programs, and we have seen many of them announced. 
um, whether it is dividend increases, uh, stock buyback programs, or both. Um, and so that's really putting a, a floor underneath the sector as well um, in terms of you know positive momentum on that share price. So I think just a couple of different things really you know setting up a very nice environment for U.S. financials to uh, to perform, and that that is exactly what we've seen. Relative to you know what we're seeing in Canada, you know we're we're seeing some of similar dynamics playing out again on the yield side. Yields have been moving up a little bit. That yield curve has steepened a little bit in Canada as well, just not to the same degree as we've seen in the U.S. Um, and also historically, um, you know, Canadian banks tend to be a little less growthy um, than what we get south of the border. So, you know, if U.S. banks tend to have a lower dividend yield and more growth potential. Up here in Canada, it's a little bit more steady on the return stream with a higher dividend payment um, and less, you know, absolute growth outside of that. Um, you know, traditionally, that's where you've gotten your total return from um, in the Canadian banking sector is largely through that dividend, consistent dividend stream and a little bit of growth. Um, whereas, again, in the U.S., we've seen a lot more growth um, and less dividends, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that play out here as well. So even though um, the yield curve has steepened a little bit in Canada, again, the Canadian banks haven't responded as much um, to that, certainly still positive over the uh, shorter term time frame in terms of performance, but not as significant as what we've seen um, in the U.S. As well, we haven't had the regulators in Canada, you know, take all the handcuffs off, so to speak, uh, for Canadian banks in terms of uh, resuming those dividend increases or, 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 or stock buybacks or things like that. So Canada, Canadian banking sector doesn't have that tailwind uh, behind it that the U.S. does. You know, having said that, you know, we do expect um, at some point in the near future that those restrictions will be loosened or, or taken off for, for Canada. You know, Canadian banks, we've talked a, a few times about being very well capitalized. Um, tier one capital ratios um, looking very, very strong for most of these Canadian banks. And um, estimates are that some of them will be able to raise their dividends potentially significantly um, when those restrictions are removed. And so, you know, I think going forward, Canadian banking still, the Canadian banking sector, ZEB, um, still looking very favorable. Um, again, you're just getting a little bit less growth elements um, than we're seeing out of the U.S., and that in terms of a, a total return um, vehicle that fits in your portfolio as well, um, they serve really two different purposes. You know, the Canadian banks, again, uh, not just getting that dividend payment to make a consistent return stream, but of course for Canadians, that's a tax efficient uh, re return as well. Um, and at the same time, the volatility of Canadian banks is less than half um, of what we've seen out of the U.S. So a bit more steady as you go in terms of Canada, in terms of uh, the performance we generally get and what we do expect. So no surprise, they haven't responded in the same way um, to this steepening yield curve um, as, as the U.S. banks have. But again, it's something, uh, going back to the U.S., it's something that tends to bode well for the U.S. economy. Again, what the fixed income market is really sending that signal that through that steep yield curve, um, you know, that there is strong economic growth expected over, over uh, the next several years. Um, and that sets up ZBK very well um, uh, as an investment over the next year or so. Again, because of that economic growth, that tailwind, because of those loosening capital restrictions, those share buybacks providing some support to uh, to those share prices. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. It is, it is certainly 
uh, a very compelling story if you look at the the return charts for the U.S. banks at BK. You know, over the S&P or even over Canadian banks over the last quarter where the U.S. banks up about 10%. Of course, the S&P more like four and Canadian banks about one or two. So quite a divergence and thanks for that explanation. Now let's take a, another sector view here. Can we get some comments on energy using ZEO or equal weight oil and gas ETF? Oil continuing to climb, now about $75 or so a barrel. Is this mostly an inflation story or are there other drivers at work? Okay. Sure, I, I can take that one. Um, you know, energy, I would say, has definitely been a, a good place to be over the couple days, uh, along with uh, banks, as, as Chris mentioned. But, you know, inflation has definitely been part of the story, I would say, but it's not been the entire story. I mean, um, you know, there is definitely an inflation component. So when you look at supply chain disruptions, uh, definitely has an impact on, you know, many different commodities. And when you look at it, many of the agriculture uh, type commodities, for example, you know, you had extreme weather in Brazil essentially had an impact on you know, harvest, which has essentially caused a lot of these uh, food inflation um, pretty much across the board. Cotton prices are also at a decade high as well. Um, but when you look at the energy related commodities, um, it's been a supply chain um, story, but it's been very much a demand uh, story as well over the last you know couple of months. Um, several weeks ago on this podcast, you know, we mentioned that the IEA uh, upped the oil demand expectations for Q4. So, you know, already before we've started Q4, we're starting to see that materialize already. So, um, you know, much of the surge that we're seeing in the energy commodity complex over the last couple of weeks has actually started on the uh, natural gas side. So um, over the summer months, um, natural gas uh, supplies in Europe were, were already running pretty low. Um, you know, throughout Europe. But now that, you know, the weather's cooled down a little bit, uh, demand for natural gas has essentially surged over the last couple of weeks. So a lot of that demand for energy is essentially, you know, spilling over to uh, the oil markets, uh, spilling over to the coal market as well. Um, so when you look at natural gas prices, um, I think it traded at, you know, $5.84 uh, per billion BTU yesterday, which is, you know, essentially the highest levels we've seen since early 2014. Uh, oil prices, as you meant, as you mentioned, uh, breaking out as well. Uh, WTI traded at $75. Uh, Brent crude uh, broke broke above $80 per barrel yesterday. Um, so I think overall, I think this is a good reminder that you know even though we believe in you know, the clean energy story, uh, the clean energy story is going to take a couple of decades to play out. Uh, it could be you know the next decade, next two decades. Uh, but in terms of the immediate need for energy. Uh, that's going to come for fossil come from fossil fuel until um, you know a lot of that infrastructure for clean energy uh, comes online. But um, you know in North America, as weather starts cooling over here as well, uh, we potentially see a very similar story play out as we saw in Europe, where we see you know, demand for natural gas spilling over to uh, the demand for oil. So you know we're going to start seeing further strain on. Uh, oil and energy, uh, oil supplies, which is going to push up oil prices potentially as well. So, you know, when you look at ZEO, ZEO is up 11.3% uh, uh, so far a month to date. And when you compare that to the TSX, TSX is about, you know, one down 1.7% over the same time period. So, you know, as I, as I said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, um, I think if you are bullish about energy and if you expect oil prices to remain high or elevated, I think Canadian energy is potentially a good place to be because you know, Canadian energy producers tend to give you exposure to 
not just oil, but also nat gas as well. Uh, but a lot of the Canadian oil producers tend to be, you know, higher cost producers. So, you know, as oil prices remain elevated and as they potentially move higher, uh, you're going to get, you know, that higher beta to, to oil prices. So, you know, I think ZEO is a, is a good way to get exposure to Canadian energy, um, you know, provides you exposure to the entire you know, en- energy sector. Um, but, you know, by equally weighting the sector, you're not going to be overly concentrated in, you know, two or three different names. Thanks, Alfred. Well, certainly a compelling story here as well. If I just look from the lows in mid-August, uh, up about 17%. So clearly a, a trend to, to participate in, as uh, as you say, different drivers at play. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Now let's switch to fixed income, where we've seen a sharp rise in the U.S. 10-year that Chris was mentioning now back over about 150 points. Is this a, a quick knee-jerk type reaction uh, via the Fed, or should advisors be considering rebalancing within portfolios? How are you thinking about fixed income in today's markets? Thanks. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's completely a knee-jerk reaction. You know, we definitely are seeing some repricing in the bond market. Um, a lot, though, I, I'd say, you know, a lot of that, a reaction was very delayed uh, last week when Jerome Powell made his uh, outline, you know, how he was going to start tapering, uh, you know, uh, imminently. So, you know, overall, the Fed has been hinting at tapering throughout the summer. Uh, but when you look at the yield, U.S. yield curve over uh, the third quarter up until a week ago, uh, long-term rates, so and when you look at the year rate, the 30-year rate, it fell close to 30 basis points over that time period uh, up until, you know, that Jerome Powell speech um, uh, last week. Um, so how I essentially read this is, you know, the flattening of the yield curve uh, basically tells you that the market really didn't believe that the Fed was actually going to taper this year. So I think, you know, concerns about Delta, uh, the market believed that, you know, tapering was potentially going to get pushed off until next year. Um, so even, you know, when you look at the day in which Jerome Powell outlined how he was going to taper, uh, the market didn't re- really react uh, during that day. I remember, you know, Chris mentioning that, you know, Jerome Powell was speaking and I was looking at the 10-year yield and it really didn't move until the next day. Uh, the next day we got, you know, a three standard deviation move on the 10-year, uh, which, you know, only happens, you know, 1% of the times. Um, so, you know, how, how I see this is basically the market needed to uh, digest the news. And then finally, a day after, really bought into the Fed uh, was really going to start tapering, you know, imminently. So, uh, in terms of your question, in terms of uh, whether advisors need to rebalance their portfolio, um, really depends on how they've been positioning. I think uh, we've maintained on the call, um, you know, over the last year and a bit that, you know, it probably makes to overweight equities. I think that still makes sense. Uh, but within fixed income, I think, um, you know, you may want to do some repositioning. I, I think, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we potentially start seeing, uh, fixed income volatility start moving up as it already has. 
um, you know, many issuers over or in the uh, U.S. investment grade market over the last couple of days have been tapping into the new issue market uh, just because as, you know, funding costs have gone up, uh, they essentially want to access new capital immediately as, you know, the cost of refinancing, the cost of funding is essentially expected to go up. When you look at the CDX IG market, so investment grade, uh, that's moved up eight basis points in the last week. Um, so as supply hits uh, the market, um, you know, credit spreads can continue to widen out. Um, and also we've seen yields already start moving up as well. But, um, you know, overall, I think in terms of fixed income portfolio positioning, I think, you know, over the last couple of months, we've been highlighting, um, you know, a, a very simple portfolio, but, you know, a fixed income portfolio um, that is more dynamic than a plain vanilla portfolio. So, you know, holding things like, you know, ZAG, which is our aggregate bond ETF, I think that's a great base to a fixed income portfolio still. Gets you diversification, it's low cost, gets you breadth, gets you liquidity, uh, but also, you know, complementing that with uh, ZPR, which is our latter preferred share ETF, that's going to protect you against rising interest rates. And then ZTIP.F, um, you know, a small portion of that is going to protect you against inflation risk as well. Um, so again, I think, you know, just having this three simple uh, fixed income ETF portfolio, I think it's going to be much more durable in this environment because I think overall um, the three risks that remain in the fixed income market is, you know, rising interest rates as we uh, start seeing concerns about tapering uh, play out right now. Uh, inflation is expected to remain high for quite some time. And if Delta continues to weigh on the market, potentially uh, yields start to flatten out again. So I think, you know, again, that three simple fixed income portfolio is going to be much more dynamic and, and much more durable in this environment. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Now, sticking with the income theme here, uh, more advisors are, of course, looking to generate income off the equity side of the book when you consider fixed income yields and expectations going forward. So can you speak to our new covered call tech ETF? How is it constructed and how is it performed relative to the tech market itself? So if you were to use something like the NASDAQ or ZNQ ETF, you know, which of course is traditionally thought of as the as the tech index. So your thoughts on the covered call uh, tech ETF. Thanks. Certainly. And, you know, this is something we've um, heard from advisors um, that advisors are looking for, you know, increasingly, as you mentioned, ways to generate income off the equity side of the portfolio as, you know, fixed income yields, although rising, continue to be very, uh, very low overall and don't really meet the income needs of most investors. Um, so even those, you know, that have a growth oriented portfolio or growth pockets within the portfolio, um, looking for ways to generate income potentially off, off of that side of uh, the allocation as well. And so that's what our, our covered call tech uh, ETF is, the ticker ZWT. Um, and really, you know, the way we built this portfolio was to take a broader look at technology. We, we want, of course, the, the biggest and, and best and most liquid companies in the space. Um, but, you know, with the recent, uh, I'll say recent, but it's actually a couple of years ago now, reallocation of what's considered um, or classified as technology, um, you know, the outright uh, technology component of this portfolio is about, let's call it three quarters. Um, we wanted to capture some of those other companies that are now classified in different sectors, but still rely significantly on technology. Think about something like Alphabet or, or Google, um, you know, classified under the communication services sector now, 
really a technology company. You know, we wanted exposure to that. Similarly to Facebook, uh, a similar situation to Alphabet. And then the other companies as well, like Amazon, that um, are a, a retailer and under the consumer discretionary um, classification, but really are utilizing technology to a significant degree in order to deliver their goods or distribute, um, you know, their, their end products. And so, you know, taking a holistic approach um, to the technology sector is what we wanted to do when we built this portfolio. Um, you know, and, and for further reasoning around that, you know, you mentioned NASDAQ, uh, the NASDAQ index traditionally being thought of as the tech index. Um, you know, if you take a look at how those, uh, those sector classifications look within that index, IT is actually now less than 50% of the NASDAQ index. Um, you know, it's been trending down over time. There traditionally was a strong healthcare component there as well. But um, with those companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon being now um, classified under different sectors, um, the pure technology um, sector classification is now less than 50% in the NASDAQ. So, uh, again, we wanted to take a, a holistic approach to technology all those sources of, of potential growth in the portfolio, um, you know, we want to potentially have exposure to. And so once we build that portfolio, again, it's about three quarters considered proper technology, I'll call it, or, um, you know, classi classified as, as technology. And those are companies like Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, um, the credit card processors, um, and PayPal as well. So probably those more traditional companies you think of um, when, when you, when you hear technology, um, but again, mixing in those broader technology sectors as well to round out the portfolio and get a little bit different drivers of, of return in there. And then once that portfolio is built, we run our covered call overlay similar to we do to, to the way we do in our other covered call portfolios across um, the different sectors and different geographies that, uh, that, that we manage these portfolios in. Um, essentially covering approximately half the portfolio um, with call options and generating income um, by selling those call options. And, you know, uh, of course, another advantage to that is that those those option premiums are taxed as capital gains. So you're getting um, from a U.S. sector portfolio, you're getting a very tax efficient um, income stream from that. Right now, I think it's about a four and a half percent distribution yield. So a sector that traditionally does not pay uh, dividends and has very little income coming out of it, um, you know, we're able to generate that that return stream and create a bit more stable um, return profile out of that portfolio as well. Um, in terms of how it's been performing, you know, we're, we're actually very, very happy with how it's performed since inception, outperforming the NASDAQ itself, as well as several other tech uh, benchmarks and, and tech sector ETFs as well. So I think potentially um, you know, one of the higher performing technology related uh, ETFs in Canada. Um, so obviously very happy with the return stream that we've been getting out of that. Um, but also, um, you know, we think it's set up fairly well here because, you know, as we've seen, there's some volatility re-entering that technology space as these uh, interest rates continue to move. That does tend to affect the technology sector a little bit. And with volatility ahead and potentially, you know, um, slower returns potentially going forward for a period of time, we think, you know, having this wrapped in a covered call strategy makes a lot of sense, reduces that volatility of the portfolio a little bit, uh, takes advantage of higher expected volatility by selling those call options and, and earning a, a richer um, option premium. And so we think this portfolio, again, set up fairly well um, to capture the growth out of that sector 
um, but also generate return uh, through income for those income-oriented investors. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Certainly a compelling story and good to see that that ETF, the WT, is off to a really good start. Uh, I think it strikes a nice balance, again, between income and growth uh, for advisors looking to get some of both as they build their portfolios. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone once again for listening in. We really appreciate your time. Of course, thanks to both Chris and Alfred. Uh, Some really insightful answers covering a lot of ground and giving some great ideas to bring back to our own conversations. So I'd just like to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McKinney, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about a range of interesting sector plays, including ZBK for U.S. banks, ZEO for the energy sector, and ZWT for access to BMO GAM's unique covered call technology ETF. Our experts also discussed recent developments in the bond market and the benefits of using BMO's aggregate bond strategy, ZAG, in conjunction with ZRR, a real return bond ETF. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.